Podcastle episode 200 for March 13th, 2012. In the Stacks by Scott Lynch. Rated R. Contains some language and violence. Hello and welcome to Podcastle episode 200. The big epic. We are here at last. I am Dave Thompson, your host and editor, and I'm so happy to be bringing you today's story. It's going to be a lot of fun. I've gone to a lot of trouble to put it together. And, uh, uh, hello? Remember me? Your co-editor? Who, what? Who are you? Uh, Anna Schwind, the <laughs> co-editor. Jeez, who, how did you get out? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Tried to lock me in the dungeon for this one, didn't you? Jeez, I'm, I, I, no, no, not at all. Um, hey, Anna, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. <laughs> Good to see you. A little Good to see you again. Or, for wear, but you. okay. How was the dungeon this time of year? Hmm. Good thing I brought my lock picks. <laughs> so look, we've got uh, episode 200 here for you, folks. Today's episode is "In the Stacks" by Scott Lynch. This story first appeared in the anthology "Swords in Dark Magic: The New Sword and Sorcery," edited by Jonathan Strand and Lou Anders. It's a book with plenty of dungeons, folks. You should check it out. The story is rated R, or as Dave likes to say, definitely R, for violence and language. The story today is written by Scott Lynch, who's the author of the incredibly popular Gentleman's Bastard sequence of fantasy novels, which kick off with the lies of Locke Lamora. His latest, The Republic of Thieves, will be released later this year. It's read for you today by, well, everyone. <laughs> We'll give you a full cast list after the episode. With that in mind, grab your swords and your overdue library books and, and enjoy, enjoy the, story. the story. In the Stacks by Scott Lynch Laszlo Jezera, aspirant wizard of the High University of Hazar, spent a long hour on the morning of his fifth-year exam worming his way into an uncomfortable suit of leather armor. A late growth spurt had ambushed Laszlo that spring, and the cuirass, once form-fitted, was now tight across the shoulders despite every adjustment of the buckles and straps. As for the groin guard, well, the less said, the better. Damn, but he'd been an idiot, putting off a test fit of his old personal gear until it was much too late for a trip to the armory. Still trying to suck it in? Casimir Verana, his chamber's mate, strolled in already fully armored, not merely with physical gear, but with his usual air of total ease. In truth, he'd spent even less time in fighting leathers than Laszlo had in their first half-decade of school together. He simply had the curious power of total, improbable deportment. Every inch the patrician, commanding and comely, he could have feigned relaxation even while standing in fire up to his privates. You're embarrassing me, Laszlo. And you, with all your dueling society ribbons. We wear silks, huffed Laszlo, buckling on his stiff leather neck guard. So we can damn well move when we have to? This creaking heap of boiled pigskin, I've hardly worn it since archaic homicide theory. Forgot to go to the armory for a refit, huh? Well, I've been busy as all hells, hardly sleeping. A fifth-year aspirant. Busy and confused at finals time. What an unprecedented misfortune. A unique tale of woe. Casimir moved around Laszlo and began adjusting what he could. Let's skip our exam. 
You need warm milk and cuddles. I swear on my mother, Kaz. I'll set fire to your cryptomancy dissertation. Can't. Turned it in two hours ago. And why are you still dicking around with purely physical means here? Casimir muttered something, and Laszlo yelped in surprise as the heat of spontaneous magic ran up and down his back. But a moment later, the armor felt looser. Still not a good fit, but at least not tight enough to hobble his every movement. Better? Moderately. I don't mean to lecture, magician, but sooner or later you should probably start using, you know, magic to smooth out your little inconveniences. You're a lot more confident with practical use than I am. Casimir grinned and slapped Laszlo on the back. Theory's a waiting pool, Laz. You've got to come out into the deep water sooner or later. You're going to see that today, I promise. Let's get your kit together so they don't start without us. Laszlo pulled on a pair of fingerless leather gauntlets, the sort peculiar to the profession of magicians intending to go in harm's way. With Casimir's oversight, he filled the sheaths on his belt and boots with half a dozen stilettos, then strapped or tied on no fewer than fourteen auspicious charms and protective wards. Some of these he'd crafted himself, the rest he had begged or temporarily stolen from friends. His sable cloak and mantle, lined in aspirant gray, settled lastly and awkwardly over the creaking, clinking mass he'd become. Oh, damn, Laszlo muttered after he adjusted his cloak. Where did I set my... Sword, said Casimir, holding it out in both hands. Laszlo's wire-hilted rapier was his pride and joy, an elegant old thing held together by mage smithery through three centuries of duties not always ceremonial. It was an heirloom of his diminished family, the only valuable item his parents had ever been able to bequeath him when his mild sorceress aptitude had won him a standard nine-year scholarship to the university. Checked it myself. Laszlo buckled the scabbard into his belt and covered it with his cloak. The armor still felt him feeling vaguely ridiculous, but at least he trusted his steel. Thus protected, layered head to toe in leather, enchantments, and weapons, he was at last ready for the final challenge each fifth-year student faced if they wanted to return for a sixth. Today, Laszlo Jezera would return a library book. The living library of Hazar was visible from anywhere in the city, a vast onyx cube that hung in the sky like a square moon, directly over the tower of the university's western campus. Laszlo and Casimir hurried out of their dorm and into the actual shadow of the library, a darkened and bisected Hazar as the sun rose toward noon and was eclipsed by the cube. There was no teleportation between campuses for students. Few creatures in the universe are lazier than magicians with studies to keep them busy indoors, and the masters of the university ensured that aspirants would preserve at least some measure of physical virtue by forcing them to scuttle around like ordinary folk. Scuttle was precisely what Laszlo and Casimir needed to do in undignified haste in order to reach the library for their noon appointment. Across the heart of Hazar they sped. Hazar, the city of distractions, the most perfect mechanism ever evolved for snaring the attention of young people like the two cloaked aspirants. The high university, a power beyond governments, sat at the nexus of gates to fifty known worlds and took in the students of eight thinking species. Hazar existed not just to serve the university's practical needs, but to sift heroic quantities of valuables out of the student's body by catering to its less practical desires.
Laszlo and Casimir passed whorehouses, gambling dens, fighting pits, freak shows, pet shows, concert halls, and private clubs. There were restaurants serving a hundred cuisines, and bars serving a thousand liquors, teas, dusts, smokes, and spells. Bars more than anything. Bars on top of bars. Bars next to bars. Bars within bars. A bar for every student, a different bar for every day of the nine years most would spend in Hazar, yet Laszlo and Casimir somehow managed to ignore them all. On any other day that would have required heroic effort, but it was exams week, and the dread magic of the last minute was in the air. At the center of the Eastern University campus, five hundred feet beneath the dark cube, was a tiny green bordered within waterfalls. No direct physical access to the living library was allowed, for several reasons. Instead, a single tall silver pillar stood in the middle of the grass. Without stopping to catch his breath after arrival, Laszlo placed the bare fingers of his right hand against the pillar and muttered, Laszlo Gisera, fifth year, reporting to Master Molnar of Between the blinks, it was done. The grass beneath his boots became hard tile, the waterfalls became dark wood paneling on high walls and ceilings. He was in a lobby the size of a manor house, and the cool, dry air was rich with the musty scent of library stacks. There was daylight shining in from above, but it was tamed by enchanted glass and fell on the hall with the gentle amber color of a good ale. Laszlo shook his head to clear a momentary sensation of vertigo, and an instant later Casimir appeared just beside him. Ha! Not late yet! said Casimir, pointing to a tasteful wall clock where tiny blue spheres of light floated over the symbols that indicated seven minutes to noon. We won't be early enough to shove our noses up old Molnar's ass like eager little slaves, but we won't technically be tardy. Come on, which gate? Uh, Manticore. Casimir all but dragged Laszlo to the right, down the long, circular hallway that ringed the innards of the library. Past the wyvern gate they hurried, past the chimera gate, past the reading rooms, past a steady stream of fellow aspirants, many of them armed and girded for the very same errand they were on. Laszlo picked up instantly on the general atmosphere of nervous tension, as sensitive as a prey animal in the middle of a spooked herd. Final exams were out there prowling, waiting to tear the weak and sickly out of the mass. On the clock outside the gate of the manticore wing of the library, the little blue flame was just floating past the symbol for high noon, when Laszlo and Casimir skidded to a halt before a single tall figure. I see you two aspirants have chosen to favor us with a dramatic last-minute arrival. I was not aware this was to be a drama exam. Yes, Master, yes, Master Molnar. Molnar. Apologies, Apologies, Master Molnar. Master Molnar. Hargis Molnar, Master Librarian, had a face that would have been at home in a gallery of military statues, among dead conquerors casting their permanent scowls down across the centuries. Lean and sinewy, with close-cropped gray hair and a dozen visible scars, he wore a used-seasoned suit of black leather and silvery mail. Etched on his cuirass was a stylized scroll, symbol of the living library, surmounted by the phrase Auvdestis Gerani Molokare. The words were Alarin, the formal language of scholars, and they formed the motto of the librarians. Retrieve, return, survive. May I presume, said Molnar, sparing neither aspirant the very excellent disdainful stare he'd cultivated over decades of practice that you have familiarized yourselves with the introductory materials that were provided to you last month? Yes, Master Molnar, both of us. Laszlo was pleased to see that Casimir's swagger had prudently evaporated for the moment. Good. 
Molnar spread his fingers, and words of white fire appeared in the air before him, neatly organized paragraphs floating vertically in the space between Laszlo's forehead and navel. This is your statement of intent, namely that you wish to enter the living library directly as part of an academic requirement. I'll need your sorcerer's marks here. Laszlo reached out to touch the letters where Molnar indicated, feeling a warm tingle on his fingertips. He closed his eyes and visualized his first secret name, part of his private identity as a wizard, a word symbol that could leave an indelible imprint on his personality without actually revealing itself to anyone else. This might seem like a neat trick, but when all was said and done, it was mostly used for occasional bits of magical paperwork, and for bar tabs. And here, said Molnar, moving his finger. This is a statement of informed acceptance of risk, and here this absolves the custodial staff of any liability should you injure yourself by being irretrievably stupid, and this one, which certifies that you are armed and equipped according to your own comfort. Laszlo hesitated for a second, bit the inside of his left cheek, and gave his assent. When Casimir had done the same, Molnar snapped his fingers, and the letters of fire vanished. At the same instant, the polished wooden doors of the manticore gate rumbled apart. Laszlo glanced at the inner edges of the doors and saw that, beneath the wooden veneer, each had a core of some dark metal a foot thick. He'd never once been past that gate, or any like it. Aspirants were usually confined to their reading rooms, where their requests for materials were passed off to the library staff. "'Come, then,' said Molnar, striding through the gate." You'll be going in with two other students, already waiting inside. Until I escort you back out this gate, you may consider your exam to be in progress. Past the manticore gate lay a long, vault-ceilinged room in which indexers toiled amongst thousands of scrolls and card files. Unlike the librarians, the indexers preferred comfortable blue robes to armor, but they were all visibly armed with daggers and hatchets. Furthermore, in niches along the wall, Laszlo could see spears, truncheons, mail vests, and helmets readily accessible on racks. I envy your precision, friend Laszlo. The gravelly voice that spoke those words was familiar, and Laszlo turned to the left to find himself staring up into the golden-flecked eyes of a lizard about seven feet tall. The creature had a chest as broad as a doorway under shoulders to match, and his gleaming scales were the red of a desert sunset. He wore a sort of thin, quilted armor over everything but his muscular legs and feet, which ended in sickle-shaped claws the size of Laszlo's stilettos. The reptile's cloak was specifically tailored to part over his long, sinuous tail and hang with dignity. Lev, hi! What precision? Your ability to sleep late and still arrive within a hair's breadth of accruing penalties for your tardiness. Your laziness is... artistic. <laughs> the administration rarely agrees. Laszlo was deeply pleased to see inappropriate levity bronze claw. Lev to everyone at the university. Lev's people, dour and dutiful, gave their adolescents' names based on their perceived character flaws, so the wayward youths would supposedly dwell upon their correction until granted more honorable adult names. Lev was a mediocre sorcerer, very much of Laszlo's stripe, but his natural weaponry was one hell of an asset when hungry weirdness might be trying to bite your head off. Oh, I doubt they were sleeping. Another new voice, female, smooth and lovely. It belonged to Yvette de Curran, who'd been hidden from Laszlo's view behind Lev, and who could have remained hidden behind a creature half the lizard's size. 
Yvette's skin was darker than the armor she wore, a more petite version of Laszlo and Casimir's gear, and her ribbon-threaded hair was as black as her aspirant's cloak. Not Laz and Kaz, boys of such a sensitive disposition, why we all know they were probably tending to certain extracurricular activities. She made a strangely demure series of sucking sounds and some gestures with her hands that were not demure at all. Yvette, you gorgeous little menace to my academic rank. That is most assuredly not true. However, if it were, I reckon that would make Laszlo and myself the only humans present to have ever seen a grown man with his clothes off. Laszlo felt a warm, unexpected sensation in the pit of his stomach, and it took him a moment of confusion to identify it. Great gods, was that relief? Hope, even? Yvette de Corin was a gifted aspirant, Casimir's match at the very least. Whatever might be waiting inside the living library, some bureaucratic stroke of luck had put him on a team with two natural magicians and a lizard that could kick a hole through a brick wall. All he had to do to earn a sixth year was stay out of their way and try to look busy. Yvette retaliated at Casimir with another series of gestures, some of which might have been the beginning of a minor spell, but she snapped to attention as Master Molnar loudly cleared his throat. <clears throat> when you're all ready, of course, he drawled, I do so hate to burden you with anything so tedious as the future of your thaumaturgical careers. Yes. Sorry, yes, Master, Master Molnar. Molnar. Sorry, Sorry, Master Molnar. Molnar said the students, now a perfectly harmonized quartet of apology. This is the Manticore Index, said Molnar, spreading his arms. One of eleven such indices serving to catalogue, however incompletely, the contents of the living library. Take a good look around. Unless you choose to join the ranks of the librarians after surviving your nine years, you will never be allowed into this area again. Now... Aspirant Jazera, can you tell me how many catalogued items the living library is believed to contain? Um, said Laszlo, who'd wisely refreshed his limited knowledge of the library's innards the previous night. About ten million, I think. You think? I'll believe that when further evidence is presented, but you are nearly correct. At a minimum, this collection consists of some ten million scrolls and bound volumes, the majority of which, aspirant Bronze Claw, are what? Grimoires. Correct. Grimoires, the personal references and notebooks of magicians from across all the known worlds, some more than four thousand years old, some of them quite famous or infamous, when the High University of Hazar was founded, a grimoire collection project was undertaken. An effort to create the greatest magical library in existence, to unearth literally every scrap of arcane knowledge that could be retrieved from the places where those scraps had been abandoned, forgotten, or deliberately hidden. It took centuries. It was largely successful. Molnar turned and began moving down the central aisle between the tables and shelves where indexers worked, politely ignoring him. No doubt they'd heard his same lecture many times before. Largely successful at creating one hell of a mess. Aspirant de Courin, what is a grimoire? Well, 
As you said, a magician's personal reference, details of spells and experiments. A catalogue of a magician's private obsessions. I suppose, sir. More private than any diary, every page stained with a sorcerer's hidden character, their private demons, their wildest ambitions. Some magicians produce collections, others produce only a single book, but nearly all of them produce something before they die. Chances are the four of you will produce something in your time. Some of you have certainly begun them by now. Laszlo glanced around at the others, wondering. He had a few basic project journals, notes on the simple magics he'd been able to grasp, nothing that could yet be accused of showing any ambition. But Casimir or Yvette? Who could know? Grimoires are first-hand witnesses to every triumph and every shame of their creators. They are left in laboratories, stored haphazardly next to untold powers, exposed to magical materials and energies for years. Their pages are saturated with arcane dust and residue, as well as deliberate sorceries. They are magical artifacts, uniquely infused with what can only be called the divine madness of individuals such as yourselves. They evolve, as many magical artifacts do, a faint quasi-intelligence, a distinct sort of low cunning that your run-of-the-mill chair or rock or library book does not possess. Individually, this characteristic is harmless. But when you take grimoires, powerful grimoires, from the hands and minds of powerful magicians, and you store them together by the hundreds, by the thousands, by the tens of thousands, by the millions— This last word was almost shouted, and Molnar's arms were raised to the ceiling again for dramatic effect. This speech had lost the dry tones of lecture and acquired the dark passion of theatrical oration. Whatever Master Molnar might have thought of the aspirants entrusted to his care, he was clearly a believer in his work. You need thick walls, he said slowly, with a thin smile on his lips. Thick walls and rough librarians to guard them. Millions of grimoires locked away together. Each one is a moat of quasi-intelligence, a speck of possibility, a particle of magic— Bring them together in a teeming library in the stacks, and you have— What? said Laszlo, buying into the drama despite himself. Not a mind, said Molnar, meeting his eyes like a carnival fortune-teller making a sales pitch. Not quite a mind, not a focused intelligence, but a jungle. A jungle that dreams, and those dreams are currents of deadly strangeness. A living library— within our power to contain, but well beyond our power to control. Molnar stopped beside a low table on which there were four reinforced leather satchels, each containing a single large book. Pinned to each satchel was a small pile of handwritten notes. A collection of thaumaturgical knowledge, so vast and so deep, is far, far too useful a thing to give up merely because it has become a magical disaster area perfectly capable of killing anyone who enters it unprepared. Laszlo felt his sudden good cheer slinking away. All of this in a much less explicit form was common knowledge among the aspirants of the high university. 
The living library was a place of weirdness, of mild dangers, sure, but to hear Molnar speak of it. You aspirants have reaped the benefit of the library for several years now. Molnar smiled and brushed a speck of imaginary dust from the coras of his librarian's armor. You have filed your requests for certain volumes and waited the days or weeks required for the library staff to fetch them out. And, in the reading rooms, you have studied them in perfect comfort, because a grimoire safely removed from the living library is just another book. The masters of the university, as one of their more commendable policies, have decreed that all aspirant magicians need to learn to appreciate the sacrifices of the library staff that make this singular resource available. Before you can proceed to the more advanced studies of your final years, you are required to enter the living library just once to assist us in the return of a volume to its rightful place in the collection. That is all. That is the extent of your fifth-year exam. On the table beside me you will see four books in protective satchels. Take one and handle it with care. Until those satchels are empty, your careers at the high university are in the balance. Lev passed the satchels out one by one. Laszlo reached his and examined the little bundle of notes that came with it. Written in several different hands, they named the borrower of the grimoire as a third-year aspirant he didn't know, and described the process of hunting the book down, with references to library sections, code phrases, and number sequences that Laszlo couldn't understand. The library is so complex, and has grown so strange in its ways, that physical surveillance of the collection has been impractical for centuries. We rely on the index enchantments— powerful processes of our most orderly sorcery to give us the information that the indexers maintain here. From that information, we plan our expeditions and map the best ways to go about fetching an item from the stacks, or returning one. Master Molnar, sir, forgive me. Is that a focus for the index enchantments over there? Laszlo followed Casimir's pointing hand, and in a deeper niche behind one of the little armories along the walls, he saw a recessed column of black glass, behind which soft pulses of blue light rose and fell. Just so. Either you've made pleasing use of the introductory materials, or that was a good guess. It's a sort of personal interest. Casimir reached inside a belt pouch and took out a thick hunk of triangular crystal, like a prism with a milky white center. May I leave this next to the focus while we're in the stacks? It's just an impression device. It'll give me a basic idea of how the index enchantments function. My family has a huge library. Not magical, of course, but if I could create spells to organize it. Ambition wedded to sloth. Let no one say you don't think like a true magician, aspirant Vrana. I won't even have to think about it while we're inside, sir. It would just mind itself, and I could pick it up on the way out. Casimir was laying it on, Laszlo saw, every ounce of obsequiousness he could conjure. But what was he talking about? Personal project. Family library. Kaz had never breathed a word of any such thing to him. While they came from very different worlds, they'd always gotten along excellently as chambermates, and Laszlo had thought there were no real secrets between them. Where had this sprung from? Of course, Vrana. We go to some trouble to maintain those enchantments after all, and today is all about 
appreciating our work. While Casimir hurried to emplace his little device near the glass column, Molnar beckoned the rest of them on toward another gate at the inner end of the Manticore Index. It was as tall and wide as the door they'd entered, but even more grimly functional. Cold, dark metal inscribed with geometric patterns and runes of warding. A gateway to the stacks can only be opened by the personal keys of two librarians. I'll be one of your guides today, and the other... The other should have been here by now. I'm here, Master Librarian. In popular imagination, which had, to this point, included Laszlo's, female librarians were lithe, comely warrior maidens out of some barbarian legend. The woman now hurrying toward them through the Manticore Index was short, barely taller than Yvette, and was as sturdy as a concrete teapot, with broad hips and arms like a blacksmith's. Her honey-colored hair was tied back in a short tail, and over her black librarian's armor she wore an unusual harness that carried a pair of swords crossed over her back. Her plump face was as heavily scarred as Molnar's, and Laszlo had learned just enough in his hobby duels to see that she was no one he would ever want to annoy. Aspirants, allow me to present sword librarian Astriza Mezaros. As she moved past him, Laszlo noticed two things. First, the curious harness held not just her swords, but a large book buckled securely over her lower back beneath her scabbards. Second, she had a large quantity of fresh blood soaking the gauntlet on her left hand. Sorry to be late. Came from the infirmary, said Mizaros. Indeed. And are you— Oh, I'm fine. I'm not the one that got hit. It was that boy Seleucus from the morning group. Ah. And will he recover? Given a few weeks... Mizaros grinned as she ran her eyes across the four aspirants. Earned his passing grade the hard way, that's for sure. Well, I've given them the lecture. Let's proceed. Mizaros reached down the front of her cuirass and drew out a key hanging on a chain. Molnar did the same, and each librarian took up a position beside the inner door. The walls before them rippled, and small keyholes appeared where blank stone had been a moment before. Opening! yelled Master Molnar. Opening! chorused the indexers. Each of them dropped whatever they were working on and turned to face the inner door. One blue-robed woman hurried to the hallway door, checked it, and shouted, Manicore gate, secure! Opening! On three. One. Two. The two librarians inserted their keys and turned them in unison. The inner door slid open, just as the outer one had, revealing an empty, metal-walled room lit by amber lanterns set in heavy iron cages. Mizaros was the first one into the metal-walled chamber, holding up a hand to keep the aspirants back. She glanced around quickly, surveying every inch of the walls, floor, and ceiling, and then she nodded. In, said Molnar, herding the aspirants forward. He snapped his fingers, and with a flash of light he conjured a walking staff, a tall object of polished dark wood. It had a few ornaments, but it was shod at both ends with iron, and that iron looked well dented to Laszlo's eyes. Once the six of them were inside the metal-walled chamber, Molnar waved a hand over some innocuous portion of the wall, and the door behind them rumbled shut, locking mechanisms engaged with an ominous series of echoing clicks. Begging your pardon, Master Molnar, said Lev. Not to seem irresolute, for I am firmly committed to any course of action which will prevent me from having to return to my clan's ancestral trade of scale grooming, but merely as a point of personal curiosity. Exactly how much danger are we reckoned to be in? 
A good question, said Molnar slyly. We librarians have been asking it daily for more than a thousand years. Astriza, what can you tell the good aspirant? I guard aspirants about two dozen times each year. The fastest trip I can remember was about two hours. The longest took a day and a half. You have the distinct disadvantage of not being trained librarians and the dubious advantage of sheer numbers. Most books are returned by experienced professionals operating in pairs. Librarian Mazaros, I am fully prepared to spend a week here if required. But I was more concerned with the, uh, chance of ending the exam with a visit to the infirmary. Aspirant Inappropriate Levity Bronze Claw. In here, I prefer to be called Astriza. Do me that favor, and I won't use your full name every time I need to tell you to duck. Ah, of course, Astriza. As for what's going to happen, well, it might be nothing. It might be pretty brutal. I've never had anyone get killed under my watch, but it's been a near thing. Look, I've spent months in the infirmary myself. Had my right leg broken twice, right arm twice, left arm once. Nose more times than I can count. This is our routine, said Molnar with grim pride. I've been in a coma twice. Both of my legs have been broken. I was blind for four months. I was there for that. She carried me out over her shoulders. Molnar was beaming. Only her second year as a librarian. Yes, this place has done its very best to kill the pair of us. But the books were returned to the shelves. Damn straight. Librarians always get the books back to the shelves. Always. And that's what you browsers are here to learn by first-hand experience. If you listen to the Master Librarian and myself at all times, your chances of a happy return will be greatly improved. No other promises. Past the inner door, your ordinary perceptions of time and distance will be taxed. Don't trust them. Follow our lead, and for the love of all gods everywhere, stay close. Laszlo, who'd spent his years at the university comfortably surrounded by books of all sorts, now found himself staring down at the satchel-clad grimoire with a sense of real unease. He was knocked out of his reverie when Estriza set a hand on the satchel and gently pushed it down. That's just one grimoire, Laszlo. Nothing to fear in a single drop of water, right? She was grinning again. It takes an ocean to drown yourself. Another series of clicks echoed throughout the chamber, and with a rumbling hiss, the final door to the library stacks slid open before them. Doesn't seem possible, said Yvette, taking the words right out of Laszlo's mouth. Row upon row of tall bookcases stretched away into the distance, but the farther Laszlo strained to see down the aisles between those shelves, the more they seemed to curve, to turn upon themselves, to become a knotted labyrinth leading away into darkness. And gods, the place was vast. The ceiling was hundreds of feet above them. The outer walls were so distant they faded into mist. This place has weather, said Laszlo. All kinds, said Estriza, peering around. Once all six of them were through the door, she used her key to lock it shut behind them. And it doesn't fit, said Yvette. Inside the cube, I mean. The place is much too big, or is that just... No, it's not just an illusion. At least, not as we understand the term, said Molnar. This place was orderly once, pure, sane geometries. But after the collection was installed, the change began. 
By the time the old librarians tried to do something, it was too late. Individual books are happy to come and go, but when they tried to remove large numbers at once, the library got angry. What happened? said Casimir. Suffice to say that in the thousand years since, it has been our strictest policy to never, ever make the library angry again. As Laszlo's senses adjusted to the place, more and more details leapt out at him. It really was a jungle, a tangled forest of shelves and drawers and columns and railed balconies, as though the living library had somehow reached out across space and time and raided other buildings for components that suited its whims. Dark galleries branched off like caves, baroque structures grew out of the mist and shadows, a sort of cancer architecture that had no business standing upright. Yet it did, under gray clouds that occasionally pulsed with faint eldritch light. The cool air was ripe with a thousand odors of old books and preservatives, and other things. Hot metal, musty earth, wet fur, old blood. Ever so faint, ever so unnerving. The two librarians pulled a pair of small lanterns from a locker beside the gate and tossed them into the air after muttering brief incantations. The lanterns glowed a soft red and hovered unobtrusively just above the party. Ground rules. Nothing in here is friendly. If any sort of something should try any sort of anything, defend yourself and your classmates. However, you must avoid damaging the books. I can only wonder... Does the library not realize that we are returning books to their proper places? Should that not buy us some measure of safety? We believe it understands what we're doing on some level. And we're quite certain that regardless of what it understands, it simply can't help itself. Now, let's start with your book, Aspirant du Coran. Hand me the notes. Molnar and Estrizo read the notes, muttering together, while the aspirants kept an uneasy lookout. After a few moments, Molnar raised his hand and sketched an ideogram of red light in the air. Strange sparks moved within the glowing lines, and the two librarians studied these intently. Take heed, aspirant, muttered Molnar, absorbed in his work. This journey has been loosely planned, but only inside the library itself can the index enchantments give more precise and reliable... Ah... Case in point, this book has moved itself. 28 Manticore East, border of the Chimera Stacks, near the Tree of Knives. The tree's gone. Vanished yesterday. Could be anywhere. Oh, piss. I really hate hunting that thing. Map, said Molnar. Astriza dropped to one knee, presenting her back to Molnar. The master librarian knelt and unbuckled the heavy volume that she wore as a sort of backpack, and by the red light of the floating lanterns, he skimmed the pages, nodding to himself. After a few moments, he resecured the book and rose to his feet. Yvette's book isn't actually a proper grimoire. It's more of a philosophical treatise. Adri Lanka's Discourse on Necessary Thaumaturgical Irresponsibilities. However, it keeps some peculiar company, so we've got a long walk ahead of us. Be on your guard. They moved into the stacks in a column, with Estriza leading and Molnar guarding the rear. The red lanterns drifted along just above them. As they took their first steps into the actual shadows of the shelves, Laszlo bit back the urge to draw his sword and keep it waiting for whatever might be out there. What do you think of the place? Casimir, walking just in front of Laszlo, was staring around as though in a pleasant dream, and he spoke softly. I'm going to kiss the floor wherever we get out. Yourself? It's marvelous. 
It's everything I ever hoped it would be. Interested in becoming a librarian? Said Yvette. Oh, no. Not that. But all this power, half awake, just as Master Molnar said, flowing in currents without any conscious force behind it, it's astonishing. Can't you feel it? I can. It scares the hell out of me. Laszlo could feel the power they spoke of, but only faintly, as a sort of icy tickle on the back of his neck. He knew he was a great deal less sensitive than Yvette or Casimir, and he wondered if experiencing the place through an intuition as heightened as theirs would help him check his fears or make him soil his trousers. Through the dark aisles they walked, eyes wide and searching, between the high walls of book spines. Tendrils of mist curled around Laszlo's feet, and from time to time heard sounds in the distance. Faint echoes of movement, of rustling pages, of soft, sighing winds. Estreza turned right, then turned right again, choosing new directions at aisle junctions according to the unknowable spells she and Molnar had cast earlier. Half an hour passed, uneasily, and it seemed to Laszlo that they should have doubled back on their own trail several times, but they were undeniably pressing steadily onward into deeper, stranger territory. Laszlo. What? Just tell me what you want. Quit poking me. I haven't touched you. Estreza raised a hand, and their little column halted in its tracks. Casimir whirled on Laszlo, rubbing the back of his neck. That wasn't you? Hells no. The first attack of the journey came then, from the shadow canyon walls of the bookcases around them, a pelting rain of dark objects. Laszlo yelped and put up his arms to protect his eyes. Astriza had her swords out in the time it took him to flinch, and Yvette, moving not much slower, thrust out her hands and conjured some sort of rippling barrier in the air above them. Peering up at it, Laszlo realized that the objects bouncing off of it were all but harmless. Crumpled paper, fragments of wood, chunks of broken plaster, dark, dried things like that. Gods, small animal turds. Bless Yvette and her shield. In the hazy red light of the hovering lanterns, he could see the things responsible for this disrespectful cascade. Dozens of spindly-limbed, flabby gray creatures, the rough size and shape of stillborn infants. Their eyes were hollow, dark pits, and their mouths were thin slits, as though cut into their flesh with one quick slash of a blade. They were scampering out from behind books and perched atop the shelves, and launching their rain of junk from there. Casimir laughed, gestured, and spoke a low, sharp word of command that stung Laszlo's ears. One of the little creatures dropped whatever it was about to throw, moaned, and flashed into a cloud of greasy, red-hot ash that dispersed like steam. Its nearby companions scattered, screeching. You can't tell me we're in any actual danger from these. Here, tell me, can't. Whispered a harsh voice from somewhere in the shelves. No. No. Came a screeching answer. Oh hell! Shut up, everyone! Shut up! Say nothing. Came another whispered chorus, and then a dozen voices repeating her own words in a dozen babbled variations. They're vocabulars. Just keep moving out of their territory. Stay silent. Hissed one of the creatures from somewhere above. Molnar prodded Lev, who occupied the penultimate spot in their column, forward with the butt of his staff. 
Lev pushed Laszlo, who passed the courtesy on. Stumbling and slipping, the aspirants and their guides moved haltingly, for the annoying rain of junk persisted, and Yvette's barrier was limited in size. Something soft and wet smacked the ground just in front of Laszlo, and in an uncharacteristic moment of pure clumsiness, he set foot on it and went sprawling. His jaw rattled on the cold, hard tiles of the floor, and without thinking, he yelped. Shit! No! Screeched a chorus of the little creatures. No! Cried a triumphant voice directly above him. No! No! There was a new sound, a sickly crackling noise. Laszlo gaped as one of the little dark shapes on the shelves far above them swelled, doubling in size in seconds, its grotesque flesh bubbling and rising like some unholy dough. The little claws and limbs, previously smaller than a cat's, took on a more menacing heft. It croaked in a deeper voice. Give more new words. And with that, it flung itself down at him, wider mouth open to display a fresh set of sharp teeth. Astriza's sword hit the thing before Laszlo could choke out a scream, rupturing it like a lanced boil and splattering a good radius with hot, vomit-scented ichor. Laszlo gagged, stumbled to his feet, and hurriedly wiped the awful stuff away from his eyes. Astriza spared him a furious glare, then pulled him forward by the mantle of his cloak. Silently enduring the rain of junk and the screeching calls for new words, the party stumbled on through the aisles and junctions, until the last of the hooting, scrambling, missling, flinging multitude was lost in the misty darkness behind them. Vocabulars, said Master Molnar, when they had stopped in a place of apparent safety. Goblin-like creatures that feed on any new words they learn from human speech. Their metabolisms turn vocabulary into body mass. They're like insects at birth, but a few careless sentences, and they can grow to human size and beyond. Do they eat people, too? said Laszlo, shuddering. They'd cripple us, said Estriza, wiping vocabulary slop from her sword. And torture us as long as they could, until we screamed every word we knew for them. We don't have time to wipe that colony out today. Fortunately, vocabulars are extremely territorial and totally illiterate. Their nests are surrounded by enough books to feed their little minds forever, but they can't read a word. How can such things have stolen in past your gates and sorcery? Asked Lev. It's the books again. Their power sometimes snatches the damnedest things away from distant worlds. The stacks are filled with living and quasi-living dwellers of two general types. The first sort we call externals. Anything recently dumped or summoned here, animals, spirits, even the occasional sentient being. Most of them don't last long. Either we deal with them, or they become prey for the other sort of dweller. Bibliofauna. Creatures created by the actions of the books themselves, or somehow dependent upon them. A stranger sort of being, twisted by the environment and more suited to survive in it. Vocabulars certainly didn't spawn anywhere else. Well, we're a bit smellier, but we all seem to be in one piece. We're not far now from 28 Manticore East. Keep moving, and the next time I tell you to shut up, Laszlo, please shut up. Apologies, Librarian Lazarus. Titles are for outside the library. In here, you can best apologize by not getting killed. Ah, said Molnar, gazing down at the guiding ideogram. The lights within the red lines had turned green. Bang on. 
Anywhere on the third shelf will do. Aspirant de Courat, let Astriza handle the actual placement. Yvette seemed only too happy to pass her satchel off to the sturdy librarian. Cover me, said Astriza as she moved carefully toward the bookcase indicated by Molnar's spells. It was about twelve feet high, and while the dark wood of its exterior was warped and weathered, the volumes tucked onto its shelves looked pristine. Estriza settled Yvette's books into an empty spot, then leapt backward, both of her swords flashing out. She had the fastest over-shoulder draw Laszlo had ever seen. "'What is it?' said Molnar, rushing forward to place himself between the shelf and the four aspirants. Fifth shelf,' said Estriza. She gestured, and one of the hovering lanterns moved in, throwing its scarlet light into the dark recesses of the shelves. Something long, dark, and cylindrical was lying across the books on that shelf, and as the lantern moved, Laszlo caught a glimpse of scales. I think, said Estriza, lowering one of her swords. I think it's dead. She stabbed carefully with the other blade several times, then nodded. She and Molnar reached in gingerly and heaved the thing onto the floor, where it landed with a heavy smack. It was a serpent of some sort, with a green body as thick as Laszlo's arm. It was about ten feet long, and it had three flat, triangular heads with beady eyes, now glassy in death. Crescent-shaped bite marks marred most of its length, as though something had worked its way up and down the body, chewing at leisure. External. A swamp hydra, said Lev, prodding the body with one of his clawed feet. From my homeworld, very dangerous. I had night terrors of them when I was newly hatched. What killed it? Too many possible culprits to name, said Molnar. He touched the serpent's body with the butt of his staff and uttered a spell. The dead flesh lurched, smoked, and split apart, turning gray before their eyes. In seconds it began to shrink, until at last it was nothing more than a smear of charcoal-colored ash on the floor. The Tree of Knives used to scare predators away from this section, but it's uprooted itself. Anything could have moved in. Aspirant Bronze Claw, give me the notes for your book. Private Reflections of Grand Necrosophist Jaclur the Unendurable, said Estriza as Molnar shared the notes with her. Charming! The two librarians performed their divination once again, with more urgency than before. After a few moments, Estriza looked up, pointed somewhere off to Laszlo's left, and said, Fifty-five, Manticore, Northwest. Another hell of a walk. Let's get moving. The second stage of their journey was longer than the first. The other aspirants looked anxious, all except Casimir, who continued to stroll while others crept cautiously. Kaz seemed to have a limitless reserve of enchantment with the place. As for Laszlo, well, before another hour had passed, the last reeking traces of the vocabivore's gore had been washed from his face and neck by streams of nervous sweat. He was acutely aware, as they moved on through the dark canyons and grottos of the stacks, that unseen things in every direction were scuttling, growling, and hissing. At one point, he heard a high-pitched giggling from the darkness and stopped to listen more closely. Master Molnar, not missing a step, grabbed him firmly by his shoulders, spun him around, and pushed him onward. They came at last to one of the outer walls of the library, where the air was clammy with a mist that swirled more thickly than ever before. Railed galleries loomed above them, utterly lightless, and Estriza waved the party far clear of the spiral staircases and ladders that led up into those silent spaces. 
Not much farther. And Casimir's book goes somewhere pretty close after this. If we get lucky, we might just- Get down, hissed Molnar. Astriza was down on one knee in a flash, swords out, and the aspirants followed her example. Laszlo knelt and drew his sword. Only Molnar remained on his feet. The quality of the mist had changed. A breeze was stirring, growing more and more powerful as Laszlo watched. Down the long, dark aisle before them, the skin-chilling current came, and with it a fluttering, rustling sound, like clothes rippling on a drying line. A swirling, nebulous shape appeared, and the mist surged and parted before it. As it came nearer, Laszlo saw that it was a mass of papers, a column of book pages, hundreds of them whirling on a tight axis like a tornado. No! shouted Molnar, as Casimir raised his hands to begin a spell. Don't harm it. Protect yourselves, but don't fight back, or the library will— His words were drowned out as the tumbling mass of pages washed over them, and its sound increased tenfold. Laszlo was buffeted with winds like a dozen invisible fists. His cloak streamed out behind him as though he were in a freefall, and a cloud of dust and grime torn from the surfaces nearby filled the air as a stinging miasma. He barely managed to fumble his sword safely back into his scabbard as he sought the floor. Just above him, the red lanterns were slammed against a stone balcony and shattered to fragments. From out of the wailing wind there came a screech like knives drawn over slate. Through slitted eyes, Laszlo saw that Lev was losing his balance and sliding backward. Laszlo realized that Lev's torso, wider than any human's, was catching the wind like a sail despite the lizard's efforts to sink his claws into the tile floor. Laszlo threw himself at Lev's back and strained against the lizard's overpowering bulk and momentum for a few desperate seconds. Just as he realized that he was about to get bowled over, Casimir appeared out of the whirling confusion and added his weight to Laszlo's. Heaving with all their might, the two human aspirants managed to help Lev finally force himself flat to the ground, where they sprawled on top of him. Ectinic light flared. Molnar and Estriza, leaning into the terrible wind together, had placed their hands on Molnar's staff and wrought some sort of spell. The brutal gray cyclone parted before them like the bow shock of a swift sailing ship, and the dazed aspirants behind them were released from the choking grip of the page storm. Not a moment too soon, in fact, for the storm had caught up the jagged copper and glass fragments of the broken lanterns, sharper claws than any it had possessed before. Once, twice, three times it lashed out with these new weapons, rattling against the invisible barrier, but the sorcery of the librarians held firm. It seemed to Laszlo that a note of frustration entered the wail of the thing around them. Tense moments passed. The papers continued to snap and twirl above them, and the winds still wailed madly. But after a short while, the worst of the page storm seemed to be spent. Glass and metal fragments rained around them like discarded toys, and the whole screaming mess fluttered on down the aisle, leaving a slowly falling haze of upflung dust in its wake. Coughing and sneezing, Laszlo and his companions stumbled shakily to their feet, while the noise and the chaos of the indoor cyclone faded into the distant mist and darkness. My thanks, humans. My clan's ancestral trade of scale-grooming is beginning to acquire a certain tint of nostalgia in my thoughts. <laughs> don't, don't mention it. What the hell was that? Believe it or not, that was a book. A forcibly unbound grimoire. 
said Molnar, dusting off his armor. The creatures and forces in here occasionally destroy books by accident, and sometimes, when a truly ancient grimoire bound with particularly powerful spells is torn apart, it doesn't want to stop being a book. It becomes a focus for the library's unconscious anger. A book without spine or covers is like an unquiet spirit without mortal form. Whatever's left of it holds itself together out of sheer resentment, roaming without purpose, lashing out at whatever crosses its path. I like my face, said Laszlo, suddenly aware of hot, stinging pains across his cheeks and forehead. Ow! Gods! Paper cuts. Won't be impressing any beautiful women with those scars, I'm afraid, said Casimir, grinning. Oh, I'm impressed, muttered Yvette, pressing her fingertips gingerly against her own face. You just let those things whirl around as they please, Master Molnar? They never attack other books, and they uproot or destroy a number of the library's smaller vermin. You might compare them to forest fires in the outside world. Ugly, but perhaps ultimately beneficial to the cycle of existence. Pity about the lamps, though. Ah, yes, said Molnar. He tapped the head of his staff, and a ball of flickering red light sprang from it, fainter than that of the lost lamps, but adequate to dispel the gloom. Aspirants, use the empty book satchel. Pick up all the lantern fragments you can see. The library has a sufficient quantity of disorder that we need not import any. While the aspirants tended their cuts and scoured the vicinity for lantern parts, Estriza glanced around, consulted some sort of amulet chained around her wrist, and whistled appreciatively. Hey, here's a stroke of luck! She moved over to a bookcase nestled against the outer library wall, slid Lev's grimoire into an empty spot, and backed away, cautiously. Two down. You four are halfway to your sixth year. Aspirant Vrana. I believe we'll find a home for your book, not a stone's throw along the outer wall, at 61 Manticore Northwest. And then we'll have just one more delivery before we can speed the four of you on your way, back to the carefree world of making requests from the comfort of the reading rooms. No need to hurry on my account. I'm having a lovely time, and I'm sure the best is yet to come, said Casimir, stretching lazily. His cloak and armor were back in near-perfect order. It was a bit more than a stone's throw, thought Laszlo, unless you discarded the human arm as a reference and went in for something like a trebuchet. Along the aisle they moved, past section after section of books that were, as Master Molnar had promised, completely unharmed by the passage of the unbound grimoire. The mist crept back and around them, and the two librarians fussed and muttered over their guidance spells as they walked. Eventually, they arrived at what Molnar claimed was 61 Manticore Northwest, a cluster of shelves under a particularly heavy, overhanging stone balcony. Ta-da! cried Estriza as she backed away from the shelf once she had successfully replaced Casimir's book. You see, children, some returns are boring! And in here, boring is beautiful! <laughs> cried a faint voice from somewhere off to Laszlo's right in the dark forest of bookcases leading away to the unseen heart of the library. Not to mention damned rare. Estriza moved out into the aisle with Molnar, scanning the shelves and shadows surrounding the party. Who's out there? <laughs> the voice was soft and hoarse. There was no telling whether or not it came from the throat of a thinking creature. Someone from another book return team? Asked Yvette. I'd know. More likely, it's a trick. We'll investigate, but very, very cautiously. 
As though it were a response to the master librarian's words, a book came sailing out of the darkened stacks. The two librarians ducked, and after bouncing off the floor once, the book wound up at Yvette's feet. She nudged it up with the tip of a boot, and then, satisfied that it was genuine, picked it up and examined the cover. What is it? Annotated commentaries on the mysteries of the worm. I don't know if that means anything special. Hissed a voice from the darkness. There was a strange snort of satisfaction. Commentaries. Hissed another. No! No! Hells. Molnar turned to the aspirants and lowered his voice to a whisper. A trick after all. Vocabulars again. Keep your voices down. Use simple words. We've just given them food. Could be a group as large as the last one. Mystery. Groaned one of the creatures. No! A series of wet snapping and bubbling noises followed. Laszlo shuddered, remembering the rapid growth of the thing that had tried to jump him earlier, and his sword was in his hand in an instant. New ways. Chanted a chorus of voice that deepened even as they spoke. It sounded like at least a dozen of the things were out there, and beneath their voices was the crackling and bubbling, as though cauldrons of fat were on the boil. Many cauldrons. All you, give new words! A deeper, harsher voice than the others, more commanding. All you, give new words! All you except boy, boy, kill a spell, him we kill. Others, give new words. Chanted the chorus. No way! No God's damn way! It's the same band of vocabulars. They've actually followed us. Merciful gods, they're learning to overcome their instincts. We've got to destroy them. We sure as hell can't let them pass this behavior onto others. Just as Master Molnar said, clamp your mouths shut. Let your swords and spells do the talking. If whatever she was about to say, Laszlo never found out. Growling, panting, gibbering, screeching, the vocabulary searched out of the darkness, over bookcases and out over aisles, into the wan circle of red light cast by Molnar's staff. Nor were they the small-framed creatures of the previous attack. Most had grown the size of wolves. Their bodies had elongated, their limbs had knotted with thick strands of ropey muscle, and their claws had become slaughterhouse implements. Some had acquired plates of chitinous armor, while others had sacks of flab hanging off of them, like pendulous tumors. They came by the dozens in an arc that closed on Laszlo and his companions like a set of jaws. The first to strike on either side was Casimir, who uttered a syllable so harsh that Laszlo reeled just to hear it. His ears rang, and a bitter, metallic taste filled his mouth. It was a death-weaving, true dread sorcery, the sort of thing that Laszlo had never imagined himself even daring to study, and the closest of the vocabulars paid for its enthusiasm by receiving the full brunt of the spell. Its skin literally peeled itself from the bones and muscles beneath, a ragged, wet, leathery flower tearing open and blowing away. An instant later, the muscles followed, then the bones and the glistening internal organs. The creature exploded, layer by layer. But there were many more behind it, and as the fight began in earnest, Laszlo found himself praying silently that words of command, which were so much babble to non-magicians, couldn't nourish the creatures. 
Snarling they came, eyes like black hollows, mouths like gaping pits, and in an instant Laszlo's awareness of the battle narrowed to those claws that were meant to shred his armor, those fangs that were meant to sink into his flesh. Darting and dodging, he fought the wildest duel of his career, his centuries-old steel punching through quivering vocabulary flesh. They died, sure enough, but there were many more to replace the dead rank on writhing rank, pushing forward to grasp and tear at him. The creatures croaked as he slashed at bulging throats and slammed his heavy hilt down on monstrous skulls. The things vomited fountains of reeking gore when they died, soaking his cloak and breeches, but he barely noticed as he gave ground step by step, backing away from the press of falling bodies as new combatants continually scrambled to take their places. As Laszlo fought on, he managed to catch glimpses of what was happening around him. Molnar and Estriza fought back to back, the master librarian's staff sweeping before him in powerful arcs. As for Estriza, her curved blades were broader and heavier than Laszlo's. No stabbing and dancing for her. When she swung, limbs flew, and vocabulars were laid open guts to groins. He admired her power, and that admiration nearly became a fatal distraction. Screeched one of the vocabulars, seizing him by his mantle and forcing him down to his knees. It pried and scraped at his leather neck guard, salivating. The thing's breath was unbelievable, like a dead animal soaked in sewage and garlic wine. Was that what the digestion of words smelled like? Die! Laszlo muttered, swatting the thing's hands away just long enough to drive his sword up and into the orbless pit of its left eye. It demonstrated immediate comprehension of the new word by sliding down the front of his armor, claws scrabbling at him in a useless final reflex. Laszlo stumbled up, kicked the corpse away, and freed his blade to face the next one. And the next one. Working in a similar vein was Lev Bronzeclaw, foregoing his mediocre magic in order to leap about and bring his natural weaponry into play just a few feet of Laszlo's left. Some foes he lashed with his heavy tail, sending them sprawling. Others he seized with his upper limbs and held firmly, while his blindingly fast kicks sunk claws into guts. Furious, inexorable, he scythed vocabulars in half and spilled their steaming bowels as though the creatures were fruits in the grasp of some devilish mechanical pulping machine. Casimir and Yvette, meanwhile, had put their backs to a bookshelf and were plying their sorceries in tandem against a chaotic, flailing press of attackers. Yvette had conjured another one of her invisible barriers and was moving it back and forth like a tower shield, absorbing vocabulary attacks with it and then slamming them backward. Casimir, grinning wildly, was methodically unleashing his killing spells at the creatures Yvette knocked off balance, consuming them in flashing pillars of blue flame. The oily black smoke from these fires swirled across the battle and made Laszlo gag. Still, they seemed to be making progress. There could be only so many vocabulars, and Laszlo began to feel a curious exhaustion as the ranks of their brutish foes thinned. Just a few more for him, a few more for the librarians, a few more for Lev, and the fight was all but Kill boy! roared the commanding vocabular, the deep-voiced one that had launched the attack moments earlier. At last it joined the fight proper, bounding out of the bookcases, twice the size of any of its brethren, more like a pallid gray bear than anything else. Kill boy with spells! Kill girl! Heeding the call, the surviving vocabulars abandoned all other opponents and dove toward Casimir and Yvette, forcing the two aspirants back against the shelf under the desperate press of their new surge. Laszlo and Lev, caught off guard by the instant withdrawal of the remaining foes, stumbled clumsily into one another. 
The huge vocabulary charged across the aisle, and Estriza and Molnar moved to intercept it. Laszlo watched in disbelief as they were simply shoved over by stiff smacks from the creature's massive forelimbs. It even carried one of Estriza's blades away with it, embedded in a sack of oozing gristle along the right side, without visible effect. It dove into the bookcases behind the one Casimir and Yvette were standing against, and disappeared momentarily from sight. The smaller survivors had pinned Yvette between the shelf and her shield, like an insect under glass. She was being crushed behind her own magic. Having neutralized her protection, they finally seized Laszlo's arms, interfering with his ability to cast spells. Pushing frantically past the smoldering shells of their dead comrades, they seemed to have abandoned any hope of new words in exchange for a last act of vengeance against Casimir. But there were only a bare dozen left, and Laszlo and Lev had regained their balance. Moving in unison, they charged through the smoke and blood to fall on the rear of the pack of surviving vocabulars. There, they slew unopposed, and if only they could slay fast enough, claws and swords sang out again, ten, and again eight, and again six. Yvette's shield buckled at last, and she and Casimir slid sideways with vocabulary claws at their throats. But now there were only half a dozen of them, and then there were four, then two. A triumphant moment later, Laszlo, gasping for breath, grabbed the last of the creatures by the back of its leathery neck and hauled it off his chamber's mate. Laszlo drove his sword into the vocabulary's back, transfixing it through whatever approximation of a heart it possessed, and flung it down to join the rest of its dead brood. Thanks, <coughs> coughed Casimir, reaching over to help Yvette sit up. Other than a near total drenching with the nauseating contents of dead vocabulary's, the two of them seemed to have escaped the worst possibilities. Pig one! Find the big one! Kill it quickly! At that precise instant, the big one struck the bookcase from behind, heaving it over directly on top of them, a sudden rain of books followed by a heavy dark blur that slammed Casimir and Yvette out of sight beneath it. Laszlo stumbled back in shock as the huge vocabulary stepped onto the tumbled bookcase, stomping its feet like a jungle predator gloating over a fresh kill. Casimir! Yvette! No! cried Master Molnar, lurching back to his feet. No! Proper nouns are the most powerful words of all. Alas, what was said could not be unsaid. The flesh of the last vocabulary rippled as though a hundred burrowing things were about to erupt from within, but the expression on its baleful face was sheer ecstasy. New masses of flesh billowed forth, new cords of muscle and sinew wormed their way out of thin air, new rows of shark-like teeth rose gleaming in the black pit of the thing's mouth. In a moment it had gained several feet of height and girth, and the top of its head was now not far below the stones that floored the gallery above. With a foot far weightier than before, the thing stomped the bookcase again, splintering the ancient wood. Lev flung his mighty scarlet-scaled bulk against the creature without hesitation, but it had already eclipsed his strength. It caught him in mid-air, turned, and flung him spinning head over tail into Molnar and Astriza. Still dull from their earlier clubbing, the two librarians failed spectacularly to duck, and four hundred pounds of whirling reptilian aspirant took them down hard. That left Laszlo, facing all the creatures alone, gore-slick sword shaking in his hand, with sorceress powers about adequate on his best day to heat a cup of tea. Oh, shit. Known, chuckled the creature. Its voice was now a bass rumble, deep as oncoming thunder. Now we'll kill, boy. Now, easy, uh... said Laszlo, scanning the smoke-swirled area for any surprise, any advantage, any unused weapon. 
While it was flattering to imagine himself charging in and dispatching the thing with his sword, the treatment it had given Lev was not all encouraging in that respect. He flicked his gaze from the bookshelves to the ceiling, and then it hit him, a sensation that would have been familiar to any aspirant ever graduating from the high university. The inherent magic of all undergraduates, the magic of the last minute. The power to embrace any solution, no matter how insane or desperate. No! No! Spare boy! Kill boy! Roared the creature, no more scintillating a conversationalist for all its physical changes. No. Laszlo tossed his sword aside and beckoned to the vocabulary. Spare boy, I will give new words. I kill boy, then you give new words. Spare boy, I will give many new words. I will give all my words. No. Howled Lev. No, you can't. Trust me. Said Laszlo. He picked a book out of the mess at his feet and waved it at the vocabulary. Come here. I'll read to you. Book. Of words? The creature hissed. It took a step forward. Yes. Many books. New words. Come to me and they're yours. New words? Another step. The creature was off the bookcase now, towering over him. Ropey strands of hot saliva tumbled from the corners of its mouth. Good gods, Laszlo thought. He'd really made it hungry. Occultation, he said, by way of a test. The creature growled with pleasure, shuddering, and more mass boiled out of its grotesque frame. The change was not as severe as that caused by proper nouns, but it was still obvious. The vocabulary's head moved an inch closer to the ceiling. Laszlo took a deep breath and then began shouting as rapidly as he could. Fuliginous, occluded, um, canticle, portmanteau, tea cozy. He racked his mind. He needed obscure words, complex words, words unlikely to have been uttered by cautious librarians prowling the stacks. Indeterminate, mendacious, vestibule, uh, tits, testicles, uh, aluminum, heliotrope, narcolepsy. The vocabulary panted in pleasure, gorging itself on the stream of fresh words. Its stomach doubled in size, tripled, becoming a sack of flab that could have supplied fat for ten thousand candles. Inch by inch, it surged outward and upward. Its head bumped into the stone ceiling and it glanced up, as though realizing for the first time just how cramped its quarters were. Adamant, cried Laszlo, backing away from the creature's limbs, now as thick as tree trunks. Resolute, unyielding, unwavering, reckless, irresponsible, foolhardy, no! yowled the creature, clearly recognizing its predicament and struggling to fight down the throes of ecstasy from its unprecedented feast. Its unfolding masses of new flesh were wedging it in more and more firmly in place between the floor and the heavy stones of the overhead gallery, sorcery-laid stones that had stood fast for more than a thousand years. Stop! 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 Engorgement! shouted Laszlo, almost dancing with excitement. Avarice! Rapaciousness! Corpulence! Superabundance! Comeuppance! <laughs> the vocabulary, now elephant-sized, shrieking in a deafening voice. It pushed against the overhead surface with its hands, six or seven feet across, to no avail. Its head bent sideways at an unnatural angle until its spine, still growing, finally snapped against the terrible pressure of floor and ceiling. The huge arms fell to the ground with a thud that jarred Laszlo's teeth, and a veritable waterfall of dark blood began to pour from the corner of the thing's slack mouth. Not stopping to admire this still-twitching flesh edifice, Laszlo ran around it, reaching the collapsed bookcase just as Lev did. 
Working together, they managed to heave it up, disgorging a flow of books that slid out around their ankles. Laszlo grinned uncontrollably when Casimir and Yvette pushed themselves shakily up to their hands and knees. Lev pulled Yvette off the ground, and she tumbled into his arms, laughing, while Laszlo heaved Casimir up. I apologize for every word I've ever criticized and every dissertation you've ever scribbled, said Cass. Tonight we will get drunk, yelled Lev. The big lizard's friendly slap between Laszlo's shoulders almost knocked him into the spot previously occupied by Yvette. In your human fashion, without forethought, in strange neighborhoods that will yield anecdotes for future mortification. Master Molnar, said Yvette. In an instant, the four aspirants had turned and come to attention like nervous students of arms. Molnar and Estriza were supporting one another gingerly, sharing Molnar's staff as some sort of fifth leg. Each had received a thoroughly bloody nose, and Molnar's left eye was swelling shut under livid bruises. My deepest apologies. I fear that I have done you some injury. Hardly your fault, aspirant Bronzeclaw. You merely served as an involuntary projectile. Laszlo felt the exhilaration of the fight draining from him, and the familiar sensations of tired limbs and fresh bruises took its place. Everyone seemed able to stand on their own two feet, and everyone was a mess. Torn cloaks, slashed armor, bent scabbards, myriad cuts and welts, all of it under a thorough coating of black vocabulary blood, still warm and sopping. Even Casimir... No, thought Laszlo, the bastard had done it again. He was as disgusting as anyone, but somewhere, between blinks, he'd reassumed his mantle of sly contentment. Nicely done, Laszlo, said Estriza. Personally, I'm glad Lev bowled me over. If I'd been on my feet when you offered to feed that thing new words, I'd have tried to punch your lights out. My compliments on fast thinking. Agreed. That was the most singular entanglement I've seen in all my years of minding student book return expeditions. All of you did fine work, fine work, putting down a real threat. And importing a fair amount of new disorder to the stacks, said Yvette. Laszlo followed her gaze around the site of the battle. Between the sprawling tribe of slain vocabulars, the rivers of blood, the haze of thaumaturgical smoke, and the smashed shelf, 61 Manticore Northwest, looked worse than all of them put together. My report will describe the carnage as regretfully unavoidable, said Master Molnar with a smile. Besides, we've cleaned up messes before. Everything here will be back in place before the end of the day. Laszlo imagined that he could actually feel his spirits sag. Spend all day in here, cleaning up? Even with magic, it would take hours, and gods knew what else might jump them while they worked. Evidently, his face betrayed his feelings, for Molnar and Astriza laughed in unison. Though not because of anything you four will be doing. Putting a section back into operation after a major incident is librarian's work. You four are finished here. I believe you get the idea, and I'm passing you all. But my book... There'll be it... more aspirants tomorrow, and the next day, and the day after that. You've done your part. Aspirant Bronzeclaw's suggestion is a sensible one, and I believe you deserve to carry it out as soon as possible. Retrieve your personal equipment, and let's get back to daylight. If the blue-robed functionaries in the Manticore Index were alarmed to see the six of them returning drenched in gore, they certainly didn't show it. 
The aspirants tossed their book satchels and lantern fragments aside and began to loosen or remove their gloves, neck guards, cloaks, and amulets. Laszlo released some of the buckles of his cuirass and sighed with pleasure. Shall we meet in an hour at the Eastern Commons after we've had a chance to mm, thoroughly bathe? Make it two. Your people don't have any hair to deal with. We were in there for four hours, said Casimir, glancing at a wall clock. I scarcely believe it. Well, time slows down when everything around you is trying to kill you. Master Molnar, do you want me to put together a team to work on the mess in Manticore Northwest? Yes, notify all the night staff. I'll be back to lead it myself. I should only require a few hours. He gestured at his left eye, now swollen shut. I'll be at the infirmary. Of course. And the, uh... Indeed. You don't mind taking care of it, if... Yes, if. I'll take care of all the details. Get that eye looked at, sir. We all leaving together? I need to grab my impression device, said Casimir, pointing to the glass niche that housed a focus for the index enchantments. And, uh, study it for a few minutes. You don't need to wait around for my sake. I'll meet you later. Farewell, then, said Lev. He and Yvette left the Manticore Index together. Well, my boys... You did some bold work in there, said Molnar, staring at Laszlo and Casimir with his good eye. Suddenly he seemed much older to Laszlo, old and tired. I would hope that boldness and wisdom will always go hand in hand for the pair of you. Thank you, Master Molnar. That's very kind of you. Molnar seemed to wait an uncommon length of time before he nodded, but nod he did, and then he walked out of the room after Lev and Yvette. You staying too, Laz? Casimir had peeled off his bloody gauntlets and rubbed his hands clean. You don't need to, really. It's okay, said Laz, though, curious once again about Casimir's pet project. I can stand to be a reeking mess for a few extra minutes. Suit yourself. While Casimir began to fiddle with his white crystal, Astriza conjured several documents out of letters that floated in the air before her. You two take as long as you need. I've got a pile of work orders to put together. Casimir reached into a belt pouch, drew out a small container of greasy white paint, and began to quickly sketch designs on the floor in front of the pulsing glass column. Laszlo frowned as he studied the symbols. He recognized some of them, variations on warding and focusing sigils that any first-year aspirant could use to contain or redirect magical energy. But these were far more complex, like combinations of notes that any student could puzzle out but only a virtuoso could actually play. Compared to Laszlo, Casimir was such a virtuoso. Kaz, what exactly are you doing? Graduating early. Casimir finished his design at last, a lattice of arcane symbols so advanced and tight-woven that Laszlo's eyes crossed as he tried to puzzle it out. As a final touch, Casimir drew a simple white circle around himself, the traditional basis for any protective magical ward. What the hell are you talking about? I'm sorry, Laszlo. You've been a good chamber's mate. I wish you'd just left with the rest. Casimir smiled at him sadly, and there was something new and alien in his manner. Condescension. Dismissal. He'd always been pompous and cocksure, but gods, he'd never looked at Laszlo like this. With pity as though he were a favorite pet about to be thrown out of the house. Kaz, this isn't funny. If you were more sensitive, I think you'd already understand, but I know you can't feel it like I do. Yvette felt it, but she's like the rest of you, sewn up in all the little damn rules you make for yourselves to paint timidity as a virtue. Felt what? The magic in this place. The currents. Hell, 
an ocean of power, fermenting for a thousand years, lashing out at random like some headless animal. And all they can do with it is keep it bottled up and hope it doesn't bite them too sharply? It needs a will, Laszlo. It needs a mind to guide it, to wrestle it down, to put it to constructive use. You're kidding. Laszlo's mouth was suddenly dry. This is a finals week joke. Kaz, you're kidding. No. Casimir gestured at the glass focus. No. It's all here already. Everything necessary. If you'd had any ambition at all, you would have seen the hints in the introductory materials. The index enchantments are like a nervous system, in touch with everything, and they can be used to communicate with everything. I'm going to bend this place, Laz. Bend it around my finger and make it something new. It'll kill you. It could win. Casimir flashed his teeth, a grin as predatory as any worn by the vocabivores that had tried to devour him less than an hour before. But so what? I graduate with honors, I go back to my people, and then what? Fighting demons, writing books, advising ministers. To hell with it. In the long run, I'm still a footnote. But if I can seize this, rule this, that's more power than 10,000 lifetimes of dutiful slavery. Aspirant Vrana, said Estriza. She had come up behind Laszlo so quietly that he hadn't heard her approach. Casimir, is something the matter? On the contrary, Librarian Mazaros, everything is better than ever. Casimir, I've been listening. I strongly urge you to reconsider this course of action before... Before what? Before I do what you people should have done a thousand years ago when this place bucked the harness? Stay back, Librarian, or I'll weave a death for you before your spells can touch me. Look on the bright side. Anything is possible once this is done. The university and I will live to reach an accommodation. What about me, Kaz? Laszlo threw his tattered cloak aside and placed a hand on the hilt of his sword. Would you slay me too? Interesting question, Laszlo. Would you really pull that thing on me? Five years. I thought we were friends. The sword came out in a silver blur, and Laszlo shook with fury. You could have gone on thinking that if you'd just left me alone for a few minutes. I already said I was sorry. Casimir snapped his fingers, and Laszlo's sword wrenched itself from his grasp so quickly that it scraped the skin from most of his knuckles. Animated by magical force, it whirled in the air and thrust itself firmly against Laszlo's throat. He gasped. The razor edge that had slashed vocabivore flesh like wet parchment was pressed firmly against his windpipe, and a modicum of added pressure would drive it in. Now! Indexers, out! If anyone else comes in, if I'm interfered with, or knocked unconscious, or by any means further annoyed, my enchantment on that sword will slice this aspirant's head off. The blue-robed indexers withdrew from the room hastily, and the heavy door clanged shut behind them. Astriza, somewhere in this room is the master index book, the one updated by the enchantments. Bring it to me now. Casimir, it's still not too late for you to- How will you write up Laszlo's death in your report? Regretfully unavoidable? Bring me the damn book. As you wish. She said coldly. She moved to a nearby table and returned with a thick volume two feet high and nearly as wide. Simply hand it over. Don't touch the warding paint. She complied, and Casimir ran his right hand over the cover of the awkwardly large volume, cradling it against his chest with his left arm. Well then, Laszlo, this is it. 
All the information collected by the Index Enchantments is sorted in the master books like this one. My little alterations will reverse the process, making this a focus for me to reshape all this chaos to my own liking. Casimir, please. Hoist a few for me tonight, if you live through whatever happens next. I'm moving past such things. He flipped the book open, and a pale silvery glow rippled up from the pages he selected. Casimir took a deep breath, raised his right hand, and began to intone the words of a spell. Things happened very fast then. Astriza moved, but not against Casimir. Instead, she hit Laszlo, taking him completely by surprise with an elbow to the chest. As he toppled backwards, she darted her right arm past his face, slamming her leather-armored limb against Laszlo's blade before it could shift positions to follow him. The sword fought furiously, but Estriza caught the hilt in her other hand, and with all her strength managed to lever it into a stack of encyclopedias, where it stuck, quivering furiously. At the same instant, Casimir started screaming. Laszlo sat up, rubbing his chest, shocked to find his throat uncut, and he was just in time to see the thing that erupted out of the Master Index book, though it took his mind a moment to properly assemble the details. The silvery glow of the pages brightened and flickered like a magical portal opening, for that was exactly what it was, a portal opening horizontally like a hatch rather than vertically like a door. Through it came a gleaming, segmented black thing nearly as wide as the book itself, something like a man-sized centipede, and uncannily fast. In an instant, it had sunk half a dozen hooked foreclaws into Casimir's neck and cheeks, and then came the screams, the most horrible Laszlo had ever heard. Casimir lost his grip on the book, but it didn't matter. The massive volume floated in midair on its own accord, while the new arrival did its gruesome work. With Casimir's head gripped firmly in its larger claws, it extended dozens of narrower pink appendages from its underside, a writhing carpet of hollow, fleshy needles. These plunged into Casimir's eyes, his face, his mouth and neck, and only bare trickles of blood slid from the holes they bored. For the thing began to pulse and buzz rhythmically, sucking fluid and soft tissue from the body of the once handsome aspirant. The screams choked to a halt, for Casimir had nothing left to scream with. Laszlo whirled away from this and lost what was left of his long-ago breakfast. By the time he managed to wipe his mouth and stumbled to his feet at last, the affair was finished. The book creature released Casimir's desiccated corpse, its features utterly destroyed, a weirdly sagging and empty thing that hung nearly hollow in its bones and crumpled to the ground. The segmented monster withdrew, and the book slammed shut with a sound like a thunderclap. Kaz whispered Laszlo, astonished to find his eyes moistening. Gods, Kaz, why? Master Molnar hoped he wouldn't try it, said Estriza. She scuffed the white circle with the tip of a boot and reached out to grab the Master Index book from where it floated in midair. I said he showed all the classic signs. It's not always pleasant being right. The book was a trap. Well, the whole thing was a trap, Laszlo. We know perfectly well what sort of hints we drop in the introductory materials and what a powerful sorcerer could theoretically attempt to do with the Index enchantments. I never even saw it. And you think that makes you some sort of failure? Grow up, Laszlo. It just makes you well-adjusted, not likely to spend weeks of your life planning a way to seize more power than any mortal will or can sanely command. Look, every once in a while, a place like the High College is bound to get a student with excessive competence and no scruples, right? I suppose it must. I, I just... I never would have guessed my own chambers, mate. The most dangerous sort. 
The ones that make themselves obvious can be dealt with almost at leisure. It's the ones that can disguise their true nature, get along socially, feign friendships. Those are much, much worse. The only real way to catch them is to leave rope lying around and let them knot their own nooses. Merciful gods. Laszlo retrieved his sword and slid it into the scabbard for what he hoped would be the last time that day. What about the body? Library property. Some of the grimoires in here are bound in human skin and occasionally need repair. Are you kidding? Waste not, want not. But his family... Won't get to know. Because he vanished in an unfortunate magical accident just after you turned and left him in here, didn't he? I... damn, I... I don't know if I can... The alternative is disgrace for him, disgrace for his family, and a major headache for everyone who knew him, especially his chamber's mate, for the last five years. The indexers will just play along? The indexers see what they're told to see. I sign their paychecks. It just seems incredible to stand here and hide everything about his real fate as casually as you'd shelve a book. Who around here casually shelves a book? Good point. Laszlo sighed and held his hand out to Estriza. I suppose, then, that Casimir vanished in a magical accident just after I turned and left him in here. Rely on us to handle the details, Laszlo. She gave his hand a firm, friendly shake. After all, what better place than a library for keeping things hushed? And welcome back. <laughs> hey, that's my line. What are you doing? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, look, we had a huge blast doing this, but we also had a ton of help from people. Um, I, especially Peter Wood, our fearless sound editor, who wrote us uh, last summer and was like, hey, I don't know what you guys are thinking for episode 200, but... Um, if you want to do a full cast recording, let's get on that right now and, and start working on it. And I would be totally happy to do that. I'm not sure he's still happy to do it, but um, but he just put a lot of effort into this. So first off, a big thanks to him. And then we Thank also you, want Peter. to tell you, we also want to tell you uh, every everyone else who participated in this. So, drum our roll, narrator. Drum roll, Anna. Yes, our narrator was Norm Sherman. Laszlo was read by Peter Wood. Casimir was me, Dave Thompson. Yvette was the lovely Anna Schwind. Lev was read by Graham Dunlop. Molnar read by Wilson Fawley. Estriza read by M.K. Hobson. Indexers, librarians, and vocabulars consisted of Anne Leckie. Alistair Stewart, and our forum moderators, Talia, Aussiecat, and also Marshall Latham. And last, but definitely not least, the head vocabulary was read by... Rachel freaking Swirsky, baby! Yeah! That was so awesome to have Rachel read that part. I think that was Peter's idea. Or, was it Peter's idea? Or was it your I idea? I don't remember. It was probably your idea since no. it was a good one. No, it was it was somebody else's genius idea, but it was so awesome, and it was so awesome that she did it for us. So, um, 
All right, we thought we'd take a minute and talk a little bit about this episode now after the episode instead of before since it's such a long one. If people want to turn it off, I guess now's a good time to. Um, Goodbye, folks. See you later. Why did we pick this particular episode instead of something, you know, like Sinbad or something, you know? <laughs> I know people were really dying for another Conan story. We could have gone with that, too. But why did we pick this episode instead of something that's in the public domain? I think this episode, besides being a lot of fun, encapsulates a lot of where modern fantasy can be and what it can do. It clearly talks to and speaks to what come before, but it's also action-packed, exciting, fast-paced, and full of its own new shiny ideas. It's just, And it's just so much geeky fun, you know? I mean, this has got to be the coolest library ever. <laughs> so... Yeah, we totally geeked out about that. And also when Peter emailed us and said, um, you know, do you, what would you like to do for full cast? Anna and I, I think, had already read this story. And we're like, oh my god, this would be awesome in full cast. It would be pretty good with, you know, if we had one person narrate it. But as a full cast thing, it would just totally kick ass. So that's where we are. That's why we picked it. And uh, Dave being so sentimental, wanted to do something special for episode 200. I was going to give everybody a lump of coal, but... <laughs> yeah, really, that, that's why you were in the dungeon. Yeah, you can watch, thank watch Dave. It, or you're going to end up back there. You can thank Dave for the fact that there's not coal dust in your MP3 player right now. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the thank yous to flood in. <laughs> they're, they're coming, I know it. Um, okay, so, so, Dave, I have a question for you. Yes, ma'am. What's it been like to do PodCastle all the way from when we started up to episode 200? Matt, it's been, it has been so much fun. You know, we've talked about this a little bit before, but as listeners to PodCastle and Escape Pod and Pseudopod and everything, driving to work every day, having a story to listen to in the morning made my day infinitely better. And doing PodCastle now... Being able to, you know, record the host spots, pick out the stories, and knowing that we're that we're hopefully making people's day a little bit more enjoyable, um, that that is got to be the best thing ever. I mean, it, it gives me a certain sense of satisfaction knowing that we get to share stories with you guys every week, and uh, that you know <laughs> sometimes you like them, sometimes you don't, but um, you know there's something. There's something new for you every week, and that, that makes me really happy. And we try to make sure that there is something new for you every week. One of our goals is not to be stuck in a rut, not to do the same thing all the time, this type of story, the same type of characters, the same narrators, the same hosts. We try to vary it up a little. So our motto is, if you didn't like it this week, you can come back next week. It'll probably be different. Yeah, and and I've been I've been struck by how um, how varied I guess that that the field of fantasy is. I mean, I knew that going in when we started editing Podcastle, but it just it just seems to be one of the most varied genres out there. There's so many different kinds of fantasy, and I love that. So that that's been a blast to explore from this end as well. I hope I hope everybody else digs exploring that too. We don't just do like you said, Anna, sword and sorcery every week, which you know we probably could do, or or you know epic fantasy every week. But we definitely try to 
bring in some of the urban stuff, um, uh, uh, magical realism, all, all kinds of different, different fantastical stories. Weird stuff. Weird, weird stuff. What was was there any moment, Anna, when you're like, "This is the coolest thing ever"? Like any particular stories that we ran, or? Well, there are a lot of stories that I get very excited about. I mean, for me, the biggest joy is I really love the story, and I'm going to share it with a bunch of people. Surely, some of them will love the story as much as I do. Um, so, all of those stories that I've really always, always wanted for more people to know of are the most exciting moments for us, for me rather. And it, one of those, of course, is Kelly Link. I adore Kelly Link so much. And I feel like not enough people know how awesome she is. And so I'm particularly gratified when people came to Kelly Link not having known her and then said, yeah, that was a little weird, but I kind of dug it, which we did have that reaction. That's so exciting for me. It's also weird, specifically with Kelly Link, that, um, you know, on, on the forum, a lot of people kind of scratch their head when we run a Kelly Link story. But then at the end of the year, when we do the best of the year polls, inevitably, Kelly, both the Kelly Link stories that we've run thus far have, have made it past the, um, you know, into the best of the year nominations. So that, that's, that's really cool. And there are plenty of others. I, you know, I love Gene Wolfe. I'm a big fan girl. Yeah, that was I cool. I love Elizabeth Bear. I love Caitlin Kiernan. All those people, the opportunity to share that wonderful thing that they're doing with words mm-hmm. is unsurpassed. Gene Wolfe, man. That was that was pretty cool. We should we should do another Gene Wolfe story sometime. Hey, how about next week? Next week. Yeah. Okay, let's do it. All right. See you guys on the flip side. Have a good one, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Tonight we will get drunk!